I completed two graduate degrees, and all along the way, professors were telling me, go on, go on and get a PhD. Come on, go on, Max. Max, you need to go on and get a PhD. Go on and get a PhD, Max. <sighs> but that's not what happened. I applied to three schools, and I got three rejection letters. So in, in 1996, Jenny and I were living in a duplex on the south side of Nicholasville with no plan B. We had no clue what to do next. D do we go ahead and move? Do we, do we wait a year and apply again? Do we, do we put our lives on hold? Do we, do we somehow try to appeal or, or try and force one of those doors open? Now, I was an elementary school janitor and Jenny was an elementary school teacher. And so we decided to wait and pray. Now that made our parents a little crazy and it made our friends wonder if we had lost our minds, and it was most decidedly un-American. What do you do when you think or you know that God has told you something, but nothing happens? I mean, what do you do in those moments? Do you, do you wonder if you heard God wrong? Do you get worried that God got busy or distracted? Or are you tempted like most Americans to take matters into your own hands, to make things happen. If so, you are not alone. So I've told you before, God's people have to wait. And here's the thing, God's people are really, really bad at waiting sometimes. God's people are really, really bad at waiting sometimes. Here's the thing, Impatience will often cause you to settle for less. Acting impatiently will often cause you to settle for less. That's because fools rush in, that's right, where angels fear to tread. But you don't have to take my word for it. Genesis is full of examples of God's people being unable to wait. Abraham. Couldn't wait for the promise for a son. Esau couldn't wait, had to have something to eat. And all of this stuff kind of culminates in Exodus chapter 32. In Exodus chapter 32, after Moses had, has led the Hebrews out of Egypt, they're at the foot of a mountain and we get this panoramic portrait of impatience. And if you'll bear with me, I want to read to you the entire chapter, chapter 32. It's the story of the golden calf. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't, we don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, Take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and, and bring them to me. So all the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf. And then he announced, tomorrow, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. 
So the people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking and and they indulged in pagan revelry. The Lord up on the mountain told Moses, quick, go down the mountain. Your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly they've turned away from the way I commanded them to live. They've melted down gold and made a calf and they bowed down and sacrificed to it. And they're saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. And then the Lord said, oh, I've seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them and I'll destroy them. And then I'll make you, Moses, into a great nation. But Moses... One of those big butts in the Bible. But Moses tried to pacify the Lord his God. Oh, Lord, he said, why are you so angry with your own people whom you brought from the land of Egypt with such great power and such a strong hand? Why why let the Egyptians say, ah, their God rescued them with the evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountains and wiping them from the face of the earth? Why would you do that? Turn away from your fierce anger. Change your mind about this terrible disaster you've threatened against your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You bound yourself with an oath to them, saying, I'll make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven, and I'll give them all this land I've promised to your descendants, and they'll possess it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring on his people. Then Moses turned and and went down the mountain and he held in his hands the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. These tablets were God's work. The words on them were written by God himself. When Joshua, who was with Moses, a little farther down, heard the boisterous noise of the people shouting below them. He exclaimed to Moses, it sounds like a war in the camp. But Moses replied, no, (laughs) it's not a shout of victory, no, they're wailing of defeat. I hear the sound of a celebration. When they came near the camp, Moses saw the calf and the dancing and he burned with anger. He threw the stone tablets to the ground, smashing them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf they had made and burned it. Then he ground it into powder, threw that into water, and forced the people to drink it. Finally, he turned to Aaron and demanded, what did these people do to you to make you bring such terrible sin upon them? Hey, don't don't get upset, my lord, Aaron replied. You yourself know how evil these people are. They said to me, make us gods who will lead us We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So I told him, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. And and when they brought it to me, I, I simply threw it into the fire and out came this calf. Moses saw that Aaron had let the people get completely out of control, much to the amusement of their enemies. So he... He stood at the entrance of the camp and shouted, all of you who are on the Lord's side, come here and join me. And all the Levites gathered around him. And Moses told them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Each of you take your swords, go back and forth from one end of the camp to the other. Kill everyone, even your brothers, friends, and neighbors. And the Levites obeyed Moses' command and about 3,000 people died that day. Then Moses told the Levites, today, today you've ordained yourself for the service of the Lord for you obeyed him, even though it meant killing your own sons 
and brothers. Today you've earned a blessing. The next day Moses said to the people, you've committed a terrible sin, but I'll go back up, on the, I'll go back up to the Lord on the mountain. Perhaps, perhaps I'll be able to obtain forgiveness for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, oh, what a terrible sin these people have committed. They've made gods of gold for themselves. But now if you'll only forgive their sin, but if not, erase my name from the record you have written. But the Lord replied to Moses, no, I'll erase the name of everyone who has sinned against me. Now go, lead the people to the place I told you about. Look, my angel will lead the way. And when I come to call the people to account, I'll hold them responsible for their sins. The Lord sent a great plague upon the people because they had worshiped the calf that Aaron had made. What, what a story, what an event. So the backstory to this with the golden calf is all the way back in Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 to 20. When the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horde, and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but don't let God speak directly to us or we'll die. Don't be afraid, Moses said, for God has come in this way to test you so that you'll fear him and your fear of him will keep you from sinning. And as the people stood in the distance, Moses approached the dark cloud where God was. So God had actually spoken to the Israelites, to the Hebrews directly, but, but they couldn't take it. It was too much. And so they basically, they say to Moses, you stay up there on the mountain. We're gonna stay down here. It's too much. And God says something. Don't be afraid, um, uh, God says something in verses 22 and 23. The Lord said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. You saw for yourselves that I spoke to you from heaven. Remember, you must not make any idols of silver or gold to rival me. It sounds strange, but, but God is saying, look, I'm real, idols aren't. I'm active, idols aren't. I'm personal, idols aren't. You don't need to make a representation of me just so that you can feel a little bit more secure and a little bit more safe. And, and so after this, after Exodus 20, there's several chapters of God laying out how since the Israelites don't wanna go up to God, up the mountain, God will come down to them and live in a tent right in the middle of their community, right in the middle of their daily lives. But when, when Moses goes back up the mountain for all that stuff, he takes too long. Days become weeks, weeks become a month, nothing. The Israelites in the first part of this with the golden calf, they're having trouble figuring out how to trust, how to follow, how to worship a God they can't see they don't understand and that they can't control. Let me say that again, because the more things change, the more they stay the same. The Israelites are having trouble figuring out how to trust a God, how to follow a God, how to worship a God. They can't see, they don't understand, 
and they can't control. And so God and Moses have this conversation and, and God says to Moses in verse seven, quick, go down the mountain, your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves, your people. Now, when God called Moses at the burning bush, God referred to them as my people. What's changed? Well, let me tell you, anytime Jenny Vanderpool has referred to John Vanderpool as your son or Jillian or Madeline Vanderpool as your daughter, I can tell you one thing. Those kids are in trouble, trouble with a capital T, anytime. So kids, if your parent, if your mom comes to, in your presence, is referring to you in, in, as, as, and saying to your dad, your son, your daughter, eight, right? You're in trouble, you're in trouble. So the people of God are in trouble and then there, in verses 9 and 10, there's this Noah-like moment where God seems pained by the Israelites, hurt even. But Moses asks God to reconsider. And that's because Moses knew something about God's anger. Which is why we get this in a couple of chapters later. The Lord passed in front of Moses saying, Yahweh the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. Waiting for Moses got to people. They were scared. They were restless. They were anxious. They were angry. God wasn't under their control. God wasn't moving on their timetable. And they wanted a little security. The more things change, the more they stay the same. So let me ask a couple of questions in light of what happens to God's people at the, at the foot of the mountain. Have you ever felt like God was just gone? That you were kind of on your own? Have you ever been tempted to trust something or someone that's a little bit more tangible, a little bit more predictable, a little bit more malleable to your control than the Lord Almighty. Of course you have. Let me suggest some things in light of this passage. First of all, you and I cannot dictate the terms of our relationship with God. There's no bargaining. There's no leveraging. You and I are not in control. And that unpredictability and that lack of control, let's be honest, is a little scary but we cannot dictate the terms of our relationship with God. Secondly, obedience is the right response. Here's what I know about me. My knowledge of the Bible, my knowledge of what God has already said with clarity in the pages of the Bible far outpaces my obedience. And so while we're waiting for God to move, we already know what God wants. Love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love our neighbor as ourselves. Forgive, be generous, cultivate the fruit of the spirit. It's clear, right? Obedience is the right response. And then lastly, giving into impatience 
often opens the door to idolatry. That sounds strange, doesn't it? Giving into impatience often opens the door to idolatry. Here's, here's, here's how that works. Idols, idols are often good things that we turn into ultimate things, right? Idols are often good things that we turn into ultimate things. And so since idols are often these over desires, desiring something so much that it becomes an object of worship, um, it's an indication of our impatience. Uh, impatience is often an idol peeking out from our heart. What? So the, the next time you're impatient, ask yourself this question. What do I desire or want right now that isn't being fulfilled? Let me say that again. What do I desire or want right now that isn't being fulfilled? Let, let me just... Let me just explain how this works. My kids are older now, but when my kids were younger, there was a set bedtime and there was a set bedtime routine. We had to take a bath. We had to uh, brush our teeth. Then we had to get into bed. And once we were in bed, there was story time with daddy and daddy would read a story. And then they were supposed to go to sleep. Now, sometimes, in fact, most of the time, my kids would ask for a second story and I would oblige them. I would read a second story. And then they would ask for a third story and I would read the third story. I would oblige them. But after the third story, I wanted them to go to bed. And here's the thing. In those moments, sometimes when they asked for a fourth story, when they wanted a drink of water, when they, they weren't quite ready to go to bed, I would get angry with my children. Now, isn't that weird? I love my kids. I want my kids. I actually want to spend time with my kids. And I have a golden opportunity, right, in those moments. And all those years ago, I'm in their bedroom and they want me there with them. And I'm mad because I'm there with them. What is going on? Well, it's because there are some other things that I wanted, some other needs that I had that weren't getting met. And because they weren't happening and they weren't getting met, I was getting frustrated because I wasn't getting what I wanted. I wasn't getting what I needed, right? So often at the end of a long workday, I wanted to just plunk down in front of the television with Jenny and relax and not have to think about anything, right? And because of that, and because I had some wants and needs that weren't getting fulfilled, I was actually angry with my kids sometimes even though that's something that ultimately I wanted, I wanted to be taking place. I wanted to be in control of my life and my schedule, and I wanted my kids to be obedient. You kind of see how this works? No wonder that God gets a little testy with us from time to time. Impatience can cause you to settle for less. The Apostle Paul draws this out in, in his letter uh, in the New Testament, the book of 1 Corinthians. In, in chapter 10, he says this. These things happened to them, the Israelites, as, as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. If you think you're standing strong, be careful. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. 
What Paul is saying is, if you think you could never do what Aaron and the Israelites did, think again. If you think you could never do what Aaron and the Israelites did, think again. It's not about a literal golden calf. It's about our impatience waiting for God. God's people have to wait. God's people, that's you and me, are often bad at waiting. And impatience can cause us to settle for less.